Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirshner. In today's long-form weekend podcast, Glenn runs down the legal recap of the week. He begins by discussing two different holiday messages from two opposite presidents. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to this holiday weekend edition of Justice Matters. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. You know, if you're anything like me, you may still be trying to recover from having eaten too much on Thanksgiving. You know, I have stopped trying to convince myself that I'm going to eat a little bit more moderately on Thanksgiving Day this year. Yeah, no, I've given up all hope of that ever happening. So, yes, I ate way too much. But now, the good news is I am knee-deep, figuratively speaking, in Thanksgiving leftovers. And I'm telling you, I enjoy few things more for breakfast than a leftover turkey stuffing and cranberry sandwich. So, you know, all things considered, it could be worse. But we're at it again, friends, trying to do a deep dive into the issues, the legal issues of the past week and looking to the week ahead. And this weekend edition may be a little bit more abbreviated than some of the others given the holiday weekend. But here's how I want to start. It's not really a legal issue, but it's an important issue. So friends, I'm looking at the holiday messages we received. We, the American people, received from two American presidents, one current and one former. And I just want to read to you the holiday message, the Thanksgiving Day message sent out by President Joe Biden and the holiday message sent out to the American people by Donald Trump. Let's start with Joe Biden's holiday messages, holiday posts. He starts out by posting, this Thanksgiving, Jill and I spoke with members of our armed forces to offer our sincere gratitude for the sacrifices they make every day to protect our freedom. They're the best of us. Then President Biden posted, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is a time-honored American tradition. This morning, Jill and I had a chance to call in and wish families tuning in a happy Thanksgiving. And then a number of news outlets did a, a short holiday story about the call that President Biden and the First Lady made to Al Roker, who was emceeing the Thanksgiving Day Parade. So as but one example, here's a piece that was run by The Hill. Headline, Biden in Thanksgiving message calls for unity above politics, quote, stop the rancor, close quote. 
And that article begins, President Biden called into the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on Thursday, calling on Americans to come together and put unity above politics over the holiday weekend and beyond. Quote, on this Thanksgiving, Al, we have to come together. We can have different political views, but we have one view. The one view is that we're the finest, greatest nation in the world. We should focus on that. We should focus on dealing with our problems and being together and stop the rancor, he continued. We have to bring the nation together and treat each other with a little bit of decency. And I think that's where the vast majority of the American people are. We have to remind ourselves how blessed we are to live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth, Biden said earlier in his call with Roker. Quote, today is about coming together, giving thanks for this country we call home. And then President Biden posted this simple message from mine to yours, Happy Thanksgiving, America. Now, moving on from that call for unity, moving on from President Biden's request that we, quote, treat each other with a little bit of decency, let's turn to Donald Trump's holiday message for the American people. Quote, happy Thanksgiving to all, including the racist and incompetent attorney general of New York State, Letitia Peekaboo James, who has let murder and violent crime flourish and business flee. The radical left Trump-hating judge, a psycho, Arthur N. Goron, who criminally defrauded the state of New York and me by purposely valuing my assets at a tiny fraction of what they are really worth in order to convict me of fraud before even a trial or seeing any proof, and used his politically biased and corrupt campaign finance violator, Chief Clerk Allison Greenfield, to sit by his side on the bench and tell him what to do, and crooked Joe Biden, who has weaponized his Department of Injustice against his political opponent and allowed our country to go to hell and all of the other radical left lunatics, communists, fascists, Marxists, Democrats, and rhinos who are seriously looking to destroy our country. Have no fear, however, we will win the presidential election of 2024 and make America great again. How can anybody support that man, Donald Trump? This is somebody who shouldn't be elected president of a third grade cafeteria lunch table, never mind president of the United States. Wake up, Trump supporters. This is not a person who has your best interests at heart. He has only his own interests his own enrichment, his self-aggrandizement, right? He has only his own interests at heart, not yours, not mine, not ours. Reject this despicable, indecent,
hateful, spiteful, vengeance-seeking person. On the way, a judge in Colorado has ruled that Donald Trump has engaged in an insurrection against the United States, but can run again for president. Glenn talks about this next on Justice Matters. Beowulf here with Justice Matters, and I am loving the warmer weather and the sunnier skies. It makes you want to get out and move and get healthy. And you can help yourself get healthy and meet your wellness goals with no prep, no mess meals from Factormeals.com. There's a whole menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat in a well-balanced way. What's my favorite? I love the jalapeno lime cheddar chicken with spicy cilantro cauliflower rice. So flavorful and healthy, too. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash glen50 and use code glen50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's Glen50 at Factormeals.com slash G-L-E-N-N-5-0 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factormeals.com slash Glen50. Go there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A Colorado judge has found that Donald Trump, in fact, engaged in an insurrection against the United States but she seems to think a president is a special case under the 14th Amendment. Glenn explains how he thinks this will play out. Okay, friends, let's move on to a couple of big stories, legal stories of the past week. I think the biggest had to be the ruling of the Colorado judge, Judge Sarah Wallace, regarding whether Donald Trump engaged in insurrection and whether, if he did, the 14th Amendment disqualifies him from serving again in any public office, including the presidency. And you probably saw the news, you probably saw the stories broadcast about Judge Wallace's findings and conclusions and her legal ruling. There are two important findings and rulings that she made both of which have already been appealed, and we'll talk about that in a minute. First, after a trial, after multiple witnesses testified about what happened on and around January 6th, Judge Wallace concluded, she found, that Donald Trump, in fact, 
did engage in an insurrection against the United States. That is an enormously consequential factual finding by a judge. And we're going to talk about why that is in a minute. But then she had to go on to make a legal ruling regarding whether Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution disqualifies Donald Trump from holding public office again. Because Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says, if you are somebody who previously took an oath to support the Constitution of the United States and you engage in insurrection, the Constitution disqualifies you from serving in public office again federal or state public office. So that actually seemed to be potentially an easier call than whether Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection. Now, that's an easy call as well based on the facts as we know them and based on the facts as they were established during that trial in Colorado. However, as you probably already know, Judge Wallace ruled that there was enough uncertainty as to whether the 14th Amendment was mandating that everyone else is disqualified if they engaged in an insurrection except the President of the United States. And because of that uncertainty in the language of the 14th Amendment, she said she could not rule that Donald Trump was disqualified, even though he had engaged in an insurrection against the United States. And I think just looking at that and trying to apply our common sense and the plain reading of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, her ruling makes no sense. How is it that anyone could reasonably conclude? that the people who drafted the Constitution of the United States intentionally took the position that if a sitting president of the United States, particularly after he lost an election, engages in an insurrection against the United States, tries to overthrow the government, tries to use force to keep himself in the power of the presidency, contrary to the will of the American voters, that person should be absolutely free to become president again so he can try a second time to end our democracy. Please explain to me how that makes common sense, how it makes constitutional sense, how it makes institutional sense, how you can conclude that based on the plain language of the 14th Amendment. And yet, that is the state of the litigation, the state of Judge Wallace's rulings and findings. And as I already said, both parties, both sides in the litigation have already appealed. Donald Trump's lawyers appealed her ruling, her finding, her conclusion based on the evidence that he in fact engaged in an insurrection against the United States, because Donald Trump doesn't like that so much. He doesn't like that conclusion because that will come back to haunt him over and over and over and over again if that factual determination stands. So he appealed it. And 
the group that brought the legal challenge on behalf of Colorado voters, a group called Crew. They've been doing remarkable work. Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, C-R-E-W, Crew. They appealed Judge Wallace's legal conclusion that, yes, even though Donald Trump tried to overthrow the government, nah, we should let him become president again. I, I know, I am, you can't see me, friends, but I'm shaking my head vigorously. <sighs> okay, now we have to go to a Team Justice Law School class because there are very different implications of a judge after a trial making a factual finding based on the witness testimony and the other evidence that was introduced during the course of the trial, and a judge making a legal conclusion about the implications of her factual findings. When a case goes up on appeal, not all issues that are being appealed are treated the same by the appellate court judges. What do I mean by that? There are different standards of review that appellate court judges apply depending on the nature of the issue being appealed. Here's the good news. Good news from a justice perspective, not good news for Donald Trump. When there is a factual finding made by a judge based on testimony that the judge not only saw play out in a courtroom, but had to make credibility determinations about each witness who testified, right? The kind of credibility determinations that an appellate court can't really make because they don't see the witness testify. And you know, demeanor, how somebody testifies, the way they communicate, the certainty in their tone of voice, their body language, all of it, you know, can lead to very different conclusions about whether that testimony is credible and should be accepted by the trial court judge, or maybe it's not so credible. So when trial court judges make factual findings during the course of a trial, those findings are generally given great deference on appeal. So appellate court judges will almost never overturn or overrule or reject the factual findings of a trial court judge. And Judge Sarah Wallace found, as a matter of fact, that Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection against the United States. However, when a legal ruling of a judge is challenged, like the interpretation of the 14th Amendment's disqualification clause, those kind of rulings are not given great deference on appeal. In fact, appellate court judges can look at those legal rulings and just reject what the trial court judge believed, and the appellate court judges can substitute their own decision about that legal ruling, that legal issue. That's something that we call de novo review. De novo, from the start, from the beginning, afresh, anew. So no deference has to be given to the legal conclusion that the 14th Amendment doesn't disqualify Donald Trump. So on appeal, the odds are good that the appellate court judges will accept Judge Wallace's factual conclusion that Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection, but they may very well revisit her conclusion that 
you know, given the ambiguity in the language of the 14th Amendment's disqualification clause, I can't say he's disqualified. The appellate court judges could easily say, oh no, a president who tries to overthrow our democracy, overturn the results of a presidential election after he lost, who committed an insurrection against the United States? Yes, he is disqualified by the very language, by operation of the 14th Amendment. So they could very well reverse Judge Wallace's legal conclusion in that regard. I don't know if they will or they won't. I don't think I would bet my $1 on it. And you know why I say $1, friends? I am not a high roller. I'm not a gambling man. $1 is my betting limit. I don't know that I would place the full buck on how the Colorado Supreme Court will decide this issue. What I do think, though, is there's a good chance, regardless of how the Colorado Supreme Court decides this issue, the issue will probably make its way up to the United States Supreme Court. And that will be the last stop on what happens on this 14th Amendment disqualification issue and whether it does or does not apply to a president of the United States. Let me say once again, how the heck could it not? Are we a banana republic? Are we ready to fully embrace that you know, we are no kind of reasonable, rational, responsible democracy? Are we ready to fully embrace you know, the banana republic aspects of what we've been experiencing in recent years? I sure as heck hope not. I sure as heck hope not. And friends, I may have said this before, but I wanna say it again, not just to hear myself talk. <laughs> the Supreme Court, right? I don't have a lot of confidence in the integrity of the Supreme Court or their allegiance to a reasonable interpretation of the Constitution. Heck, it's a Supreme Court that just revoked women's constitutionally protected privacy interests, their right to make their own reproductive health decisions, right? The Supreme Court rejected, revoked that constitutional right that had been in place for more than 50 years. So no, you'll excuse me if I don't have great confidence in their allegiance to the Constitution or their ability or willingness to engage in rational interpretation of the Constitution. And you know, why would they? I mean, they're above the law, right? They've placed themselves firmly above the law, you know, raking in millions, if not billions of dollars in perks and trips and private, you know, luxury jets and accommodations. And for gosh sakes, one justice had somebody give him a quarter of a million dollar recreational vehicle, an RV. Well, he didn't give it to him. He loaned him the money and then forgave the loan. We've got other Republican billionaire donors buying the justice's mother's home. I mean, this is, again, banana republic territory. In fact, banana republics around the world are saying, well, at least we're not as bad as that. You know? They're laughing at us. Man, my blood pressure's going up. Coming up, the Supreme Court has issued a first-ever code of conduct for justices. Glenn looks it over next on Justice Maddox. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. 
Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The Supreme Court is pretending to issue a code of ethics for the justices. Glenn says it's actually nothing more than a pamphlet of suggestions. So, friends, I don't have much confidence in the Supreme Court as currently constituted, but here's the good news. Remember how we're always kind of looking for that little bit of silver lining behind the big, dark orange cloud. Here is the good news. The Supreme Court held fast in the face of multiple challenges, legal challenges, to the results of the 2020 election. They didn't grant review of any of these idiotic cases that Donald Trump's nefarious lawyers, now many of whom are his criminal co-defendants and co-conspirators in Georgia and uncharged co-conspirators in the Washington, D.C., federal prosecution. You know, these lawyers filed these bogus lawsuits, these baseless lawsuits, these nefarious lawsuits, and the Supreme Court would have nothing to do with them, right? Did not accept review of any of them. That's good news. And I think that was born of a Supreme Court that had no interest in facilitating the return of an aspiring dictator to the Oval Office. You know, I really think the self-preservation instincts of a certain block of Supreme Court justices will win the day when it comes to the legal challenges that have been filed and will in the future be filed by Donald Trump. Let me break that down because I just said a mouthful and I don't think it was very clear or persuasive. Here's what I mean by that. The Supreme Court has done nothing to help Donald Trump get back into the White House, get back into power. And it's not necessarily because of their, you know, sound constitutional interpretation. It's because they know, a handful of justices know, that if they help install a dictator, a wannabe dictator, an aspiring dictator like Donald Trump is, remember Donald Trump said he'd be happy to terminate the Constitution. If they were to install a dictator in the Oval Office, in presidential power, you know what a dictator has absolutely no interest in? A Supreme Court. I mean, a dictator would be happy to have inferior courts whose rulings he could ignore or negate, right? That's what dictators do. A dictator doesn't want a Supreme Court that is over the top of 
the chief executive officer, the president of the United States, but because the Supreme Court is the last stop on the constitutionality of laws and of constitutional interpretation generally, they are above the president. But a dictator does not want a Supreme Court to be above him. He wants them to be subordinate to him. Hence, the whole dictator thing, absolute power and control. So I don't think the Supreme Court will do anything to enable Donald Trump to get back into power because he said he'd terminate the Constitution, which means he could terminate the Supreme Court. And I think they like their supreme power. I think they like being above the law and being above any code of ethics. Don't get me started on the code of ethics. Did you see this piece of work? Right, I think 14 pages. It's, it's a pamphlet of suggestions. It's not a binding code of ethics. The word shall or must doesn't even appear. Well, you know, the justices should engage in ethical conduct. Not that they shall, not that they must, and not that they will but that they should. And by the way, if they violate the pamphlet of suggestions, don't call it a code of ethics, if they violate the recently released pamphlet of suggestions, there's no enforcement mechanism. There are no consequences, no sanctions, no punishment. Right? It would be like if all the laws of the United States were converted to being mandatory, to being just best practices, just suggestions. Not that you must stop at a red light, but that, you know, you should. Not that you must not rob a bank, it's just that you shouldn't. That literally is what the Supreme Court just, quote, imposed on itself, a pamphlet of suggestions. After the break, a D.C. appellate court has heard oral arguments about the constitutionality of the Trump gag order Judge Tanya Chutkin issued to try to protect witnesses, court staff, and prosecutors from his reckless, threatening rhetoric. Glenn talks about this next on Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. An appellate court panel has heard arguments on the constitutionality of the gag order that Judge Chutkin placed on Donald Trump. Glenn was there in court to watch how the arguments played out. Okay, let's move on to one final topic. And earlier this week or last week, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, 
there was an appellate court argument in my old stomping grounds, Federal District Court in Washington, D.C. It's where I used to try RICO cases when I was a federal prosecutor. I also used to argue before the very court that heard oral arguments earlier this week or last week, the D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals. And they heard oral argument in the case involving the Trump gag order that Judge Chutkin imposed on Donald Trump in his federal prosecution in Washington, D.C. She tried to craft something that would protect the witnesses against Donald Trump's dangerous, often violent rhetoric, certainly violence-inducing and inspiring and inciting rhetoric. She tried to put a gag order in place to protect the witnesses and to protect the court staff and to protect the prosecutors and their team by extension, hopefully, to protect the family members of these different categories of people that Donald Trump continues to endanger with his reckless, dangerous, threatening rhetoric, his statements and his posts. The legality of the gag order, the constitutionality of the gag order was the subject of an appellate argument this past Monday, and I attended that argument. The three judges who presided were Judge Pillard, Judge Millett, and Judge Garcia, and they had some very pointed questions for Donald Trump's lawyers. They also had some pointed questions for Jack Smith's lawyer who argued the case. And one of the things that they said that really resonated most with me, they said, look, uh, Trump's lawyer there is a clear pattern here that is well established. Donald Trump says or posts something about a witness and witness intimidation follows. Don't we have a principle in the law that says someone intends the natural and probable consequences of their actions? And doesn't that clear pattern establish that Donald Trump knows full well what he's doing? He posts something about the witness and witness threats follow. That has recently been reinforced in what's going on up in Donald Trump's New York fraud case. He posts about Judge Ngoron's clerk and she's inundated. She's, you know, figuratively speaking, buried under some of the most vile threats leveled by Donald Trump's supporters. But we had to debate the propriety, the legality, the constitutionality of telling a defendant on release in a criminal felony case, you can't threaten people, witnesses, judges, court staff, prosecutors, or their family members. This is where we are. We're debating whether you have a constitutional right to threaten the witnesses who are expected to testify against you just because you're running for the presidency. That gives you sort of an escape clause. Oh, yes, no, no, I, I, get, to, I get to threaten the witnesses. I get to prompt and encourage and inspire my supporters to threaten the witnesses because I'm running for office. I mean, how could I be prohibited? from threatening the witnesses against me. I'm running for office. It's absurd that we are here, friends. It's absurd that we are in a place 
where this is now the subject of debate. And while we are debating it, the gag orders are paused. They're on hold, a little temporary hiatus to give Donald Trump the ability to continue to threaten the witnesses and the court staff and the judges and the prosecutors and their family members. This is where we are. Yeah, again, should I go back to banana republic territory? This is where we are. And we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be here. So the appellate court now will have to decide whether Donald Trump will continue to get to threaten the witnesses with impunity or whether the judge is actually entitled to protect and preserve the due administration of justice, ensure a fair trial, protect the witnesses. As the Supreme Court has said, even if you're a presidential candidate as a defendant, guess what? The Supreme Court has said the First Amendment can and does yield to a judge's responsibility to protect and preserve the due administration of justice. So I'm hopeful that the judges affirm some version of this gag order. They may cut it back a little bit because let me turn to the flip side of the coin. As I mentioned, they had some pointed questions, the judges, for the attorney who was arguing in favor of the gag order, the attorney from Jack Smith's team. And they said, well, look, if you know Donald Trump, who's running for president, sees that his former attorney general, Bill Barr, gets on TV and says, Donald Trump's a great big liar about, you know, fraud undermining the election because it didn't, you know, and any number of other things. Donald Trump's a great big liar. Are you saying that Donald Trump can't respond by saying, well, no, Bill Barr is the great big liar. Does he have to stand mute and just take that from Bill Barr? Bill Barr is a public figure. Or does he have some leeway to respond to those accusations by Bill Barr, even though Bill Barr is expected to be a witness who will testify against Donald Trump at trial because the gag order says you're prohibited from saying things about the witnesses who are expected to testify against you at trial. That I think is a fair question, friends, as much as you know the objective evidence clearly indicates that Bill Barr is telling the truth. Sometimes by default, I guess Bill Barr does that. He's telling the truth about how Donald Trump was lying about election fraud to try to stay in office. And Donald Trump is the one who's lying. You know, that doesn't mean a gag order should be used to kind of shut down a response to Bill Barr, a public figure's accusations against Donald Trump. So it is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Either the gag order is completely valid or it's completely invalid. And the reason I go through that exercise is because I have a feeling I would probably put 75 cents of my maximum $1 bet on the following outcome. The three-judge panel will affirm the gag order's constitutionality, but they may narrow it. They may limit it. And they may build some exceptions in there for Donald Trump's ability to respond to allegations made by other public figures who may end up testifying against him. So I think there will be a gag order that will remain in place, but I think it may be cut back or 
more narrowly tailored by the appellate court, then of course I'd probably place the full buck on Donald Trump appealing the gag order up to the Supreme Court. Here's the good news. Whether the Supreme Court accepts review of the gag order issue or not, that should not and, in my opinion, will not delay Donald Trump's case from beginning on March 4th in Washington, D.C. That will be a big day for the American people, March 4th. That will be the first day of jury selection in Donald Trump's trial. Yes, Donald Trump's lawyers are trying mightily, fiercely, to try to get that trial date pushed, continued, kicked down the road, but I don't think they'll be successful. There are a couple of issues that are kicking around out there, legal issues that Donald Trump's lawyers are trying to bubble up to the Supreme Court that could, could result in a delay of that March trial date. But my best guess is that that trial date will hold fast and that jury selection will begin in Donald Trump's federal prosecution for trying to overthrow our democracy, overturn the results of a presidential election. I think that trial will commence on March 4th. And if it does, Donald Trump could end up being a convicted felon as early as April because that trial shouldn't last more than a couple of months. Technically, he won't be a convicted felon until after he's sentenced, but the jury should convict him perhaps as early as April, maybe May, well in advance, well in advance of the November 2024 presidential election. So that is the silver lining that's back there, friends. Let's always try to peek around the big dark orange cloud for that silver lining because it's always there. You know, false hope is not what we are interested in and false hope is not what I'm peddling, right? Legitimate hope because there is that silver lining, you know, that justice will rise up and not just in the form of 12 people sitting in a wooden box in a courtroom in Washington, D.C. is the conscience of the community ready to hold Donald Trump accountable for his crimes. That is some realistic hope right there. But also with respect to the upcoming election in 2024, because all indicators are that, you know, we really do care about the rights that have been revoked by a Supreme Court that was in part corruptly installed by Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. We really do care. And one way to begin to claw those rights back is to vote the bums out, right? Come out in November 2024, come to the polls and numbers too big to rig and too real to steal. There is reason to be optimistic, legitimately optimistic. There's reason to be hopeful. And we're going to get there, friends. We're going to get there. Because, you know, we know, we know that justice matters. Friends, once again, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a wonderful holiday weekend, holiday season. And I very much look forward to talking with you all again soon. 
For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.